This is our text for this week. We'll be continuing in our series from Isaiah 40 through 55. This is Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 14. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. Though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people, and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. But these, where have they come from? See, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your savior, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. When I was growing up, there were certain images of God that kind of took residence in the front part of my, my brain. You know, as you're a little kid, you kind of see things on the walls of your grandparents' house or you hear things at school. I was a Christian school kid, so I went to private school from kindergarten through 12th grade. I was exposed to the gospel at a very young age. And I remember being a, being a kid, seeing certain things. Like we used to have this curriculum at school where the teacher would show a picture of the Bible story and it was in this like clear cellophane packet. And I remember how the packet sounded when you opened it up and how it smelled. That's really weird. I know. I apologize. But I remember like the pictures they would put on the chalkboard as they would walk us through the Bible story and the images of the characters and the images of, of God would kind of take shape in my, my mind. The church that I grew up in had this huge picture of Jesus in the foyer, and it was that classic one where Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, I guess, because our hearts have doors, and that's where Jesus He's outside of it, and he wants to get inside of it, and that's what we think. So we, we have these pictures of Jesus and God and these, these images. This, I doubt many of you are familiar with this just because you're so young. Um, this is called a chick track. Back in the day, people used to use chick tracks, and they would hand them out to folks as uh, an attempt to get people saved. It was kind of like that guerrilla evangelism where you'd show up, pop out of a bush, and you'd say, if you were to die right now, where are you going to go? Here's a chick track. And they'd have really intense images. Like here, see this little person down here? Yeah, I got a laser pointer. <laughs> it's intense. There's this little person down here, and there's an, there's an angel like showing him uh, around, and, and God is up here, and God says, review his life. And this little person is, is kind of like shaking, and the angel's like, yes, Lord. Actually, an angel would probably have a stronger voice than that, I would guess. I don't know if that's true. But. 
But we have this, this image of God like up on a throne, and then as, as the, the chick track keeps going, you see God up here, he's faceless and he's huge, and this person down here is like, oh no, because he says, depart from me, you're cursed, I never knew you. That's the chick track. It's a cartoon, crazy intense cartoon book that would kind of lead to this moment of people going to hell. Chick tracks never ended well. It was usually people burning. I mean, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. You can see this guy here saying, no, wait. And that's like one of the images of God that took residence in my mind. He was the scary guy in the sky that was going to make me watch a movie of my life and show me how terrible of a person I was. And then he would decide if I was good enough to get into heaven or if I would go to hell. That's kind of how I, I viewed things. We also have the far side cartoons. And I don't know if you guys are into the far side cartoons, but they would always have like this ongoing uh, routine of God and the things that he would do. You can see here God as he's creating the world. I don't know if you can read this, but there's the world. And this is a little shaker of jerks. And it says at the bottom, uh, just to make it interesting, God's putting jerks on the world. Come on, that's pretty funny. It's okay. This is the one that I wanted to pull up, though. It's God at a computer, and there's a smite button right here, and there's this little unassuming guy that's walking underneath of a piano, and God's going to press the button, and that person will be smote. <laughs> right? Smitten, smote, smited, either one. It's all, it's all fun to say. This person's not going to have a, a good result here. That's the image of God. So we go from chick tracks where God's like, show the life of this person so he can be aware of how terrible he is. And then we have God in the sky wanting to smite people, okay? Maybe for those of you that are a bit more artistic and creative and intelligent, your idea of God is this. It's the creation of Adam. It's Michelangelo. It's the Sistine Chapel. It's a beautiful thing, right? Now, God is the old white guy in the sky that's trying to reach out, but he's not quite there yet. Some of your ideas of God is this. It's Morgan Freeman in a white suit, right? Because you're not artistic and creative, and you like watching movies that are funny, and we see this in Bruce Almighty and Evan Almighty, and I mean, he's got the voice for it. He's certainly got the, the IMDB credentials for it, you know? But we have this idea of who God is in our minds. And for some of us, it's chick tracks. For some of us, it's uh, far side cartoons. It might be classic art. It might be Morgan Freeman. It might be a whole number of different things. Your image of who God is, I will argue, is contingent upon your context. The ideas that I have about God are completely and utterly formed by my upbringing. Raised in a Christian home, inundated with Christian things from a very early age. Christian school, Bible lessons every day, chapels every day. I, I counted it out one time for a student that goes to Christian school from kindergarten through 12th grade. They spend a crazy amount of time learning the Bible and going to chapel and doing those things. And I think sometimes for us, the, the conception that we have of God is, is reflected in the, in the people in authority over us. The people that say, you can't be a Christian and wear that. You can't be a Christian and listen to that. You can't be a Christian and date him or her. You can't be a Christian and drive your car that way. You, you know, like that kind of authoritarian type thing where we translate, that must be what God is all about. One of my friends was having dinner with his father and his father, this was back in, I'm gonna get political here. I hope you're okay with that. But this was back in um, Sarah Palin and John McCain when they were running for president and vice president. The dad said, with the Bible in hand, slammed down on the table, if you don't agree with the politics of Sarah Palin, then you, my friend, are going to hell. <laughs> like, we, we take that kind of stuff and we impose it into who God is. Maybe your context is 
abuse and brokenness and hurt and pain. And when we talk about God as father, that does not sit well with you because your father treated you terribly. Like there's, there's things that about you as people that impact how you understand God. I'm also gonna say that in some ways our image of God is dependent upon the context of ancient Israel. What I mean by that is our understanding of who God is is tied to the Bible. Now as we sit here as 21st century Americans, we're very far removed from the context of the Bible. And sometimes the way that they talked about God or the, the images they projected about God don't translate in our in our specific context anymore, okay? I want to talk about the Bible and how the Bible speaks about God because the Bible talks about God in metaphors. Uh, It's a way for us to understand who God is because we are finite, created beings. For us to understand an infinite God is difficult, so the Bible kind of accommodates for us and speaks about God in tangible metaphors. He's shepherd. He's a strong tower. He's a fortress. He's a shield. He's king. God is Father. These are all metaphors for who God is, how we can relate to him as as people. Now, in many ways, we've built our entire understanding of God on these metaphors from the Bible, and we've judged them from the lens of our context, our upbringing, our lives, the things that we've gone through to see if they hold water. And I'm going to say that this, in and of itself, is not wrong. We can't comprehend God fully, so we have to use images. We have to use metaphors. Now tonight, I want to focus in on one that's not as prevalent. And we'll get there in a moment. I'm going to say there's a problem with this as well. There's a yes and a no with metaphors. So all of those things that we just talked about, God as shepherd is true, but it's also not really true. It's not literal. It's not as though God is leading us around. Like in the prayer that we talked about tonight, we're a flock, and that's the image that, that is conveyed. God being a strong tower, it's true, but it's not quite literal. There's always a yes and a no with these metaphors. They kind of break down because the things that are used are finite and tangible and not like God. And the dominant metaphors that we have usually limit who God is. All of those things that I just listed are limitations of who God is. God is shepherd, absolutely, but he's so much more than that. God is father, absolutely, but he's so much more than that. God is a strong tower, yeah, but he's so much more than that. So I want to talk about how we have maybe limited who God is tonight, and it looks like this. We have a box, and in our minds we say God is whatever it is, that thing that that resonates with you. For some of you, it's God is love. For some of you, it's God is not love. For some of you, it's God is good. For some of you, it's God is not good. We have this box here where we place all these things about God, who he is, what he does, and what he thinks about me. We have these conceptions of who he is based on our context, based on how we read scripture, based on our circumstances, based on the things that we've gone through. And for some of us, this box is so small and so narrow that we, f- we miss who he truly is. I want to talk tonight about an example that's outside of the box. Throughout Isaiah 40 through 66, we're only looking at Isaiah 40 through 55, but here, if you extend it another few chapters, there's God being depicted through maternal images all over the place. We see in Isaiah 42, God is a mother in labor. It says, for a long time I have kept silent, I have been quiet and held myself back, but now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and I pant. We also see God as a nursing mother in Isaiah 66. It says, I will extend peace to her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on her arm and dandle on her knees. 
as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. So God is here taking on the image of the nursing mother, the most intimate, caring way that someone can be with a human, sort of, is that's how God's taking that on. In this text, we see God as a nurturing mother in Isaiah 49 through 55. It says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Later on in the text, it talks about God being the one who's, in a sense, birthing these folks. I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up, all the people that are now inhabiting Jerusalem? I was left alone, but these, where have they come from? God is the one who is the nurturing mother who's bringing her people into existence and is comforting them. What do we learn from this? I'll suggest that we have a, a few different things that we need to, to focus in on. And I know for some of you, just the looks I'm getting right now, you're like, what is going on right now? God as a woman, <laughs> doesn't work, right? Because all growing up, we say, our Father who art in heaven. And that's become the image that's emblazoned on our minds all throughout our youth. We look at the far side cartoons and it's God as a man. All throughout our private school days, we see these pictures of God on the chalkboard. Maybe that's not everybody's story. I doubt it. I hope not. Um, we, we have these images, though, of God as man, but here I want to try to see how there might be a different picture of God in the text. It says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? She has no compassion on the child she has born. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. God will not forget God's kids. In this text, like, that's, it's such a important point. There's a yes and a no to this image because if we just focus on this first part here, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Yeah. In our context, absolutely. We hear about people abandoning kids all the time. For some, that image doesn't, doesn't square away, but God's saying here, I won't forget you. I can't forget you. There's no way I'm going to give you up. There's no way that I can get rid of you. You're mine. Just like this mother that's nursing her child, God will give compassion to her. There's a yes and no of this in your context too because for some of you, again, just like the dad might not be the dad that you've always dreamed of, there might be like a mom in your life that's not the mom that you've always dreamed of. You might have been adopted. You might have been given up. This image of God being that doesn't resonate with you because it doesn't fit your context or your story. But here what's happening is God is saying, I will not forget my kids. Even beyond that, it says, God's kids are tattooed on her, in this image, her hands. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. This is complementary to Isaiah 44, 5, where it talks about Israel writing the Lord's on their hand. Now we have Yahweh writing Israel on his hand. It's such an intimate picture of what's happening here. One scholar says, Now Yahweh has written Israel on Yahweh's hand in order to affirm the relationship. Yahweh is inextricably for Israel as a mother is inextricably for a suckling child only more so. Like We talk about understanding God with these metaphors and these images. And he's saying, take the best image that you have of a mom and her infant kid. And I'm more than that. The dependence and the safety and the security and all those things that come along with that. God's saying, I'm more than that. I've written you on the palm of my hand. Without abusing this text, I think some of us in the room need to hear that. You're written on the palm of his hand. He's invested in you. He loves you. He cares about you. He'll provide for you. He'll fight for you. He'll be with you in the midst of whatever it is that we go through. He's like the best mom that you could think of. 
So we have God being one who cares about his kids and his, his kids are emblazoned on his hands. Third thing, God will provide for his kids. It says in verse 20, the children born in your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, this place is too small for us. Recognize this was Israel in exile. They had been removed from the land. They were a small people now. They had been depleted. And now in this text, God is the one who is building them back up as a people. When they go back to the land of Jerusalem, they're gonna look around and say, there's not enough room for us because there's so many of us. In this image here, God as mom is the one who has been overseeing all of this development and growth and birthing, if you will, where God is providing for her kids in very, very specific, um, specific ways against their enemies and then also just in building them up as a people. The metaphor looks like this. God is comforting. God is compassionate. God is protective. God is provider. God is mother. It sounds really hippie and really new age, but catch the, catch the goodness of that. The image of God as father is meaningful and important because in the ancient Near Eastern context, the father provided support and life in a way that mom didn't. But we also have that complementary image of God as mother who holds you and cares for you and loves you like a mom loves her newborn baby. We're blessed to have a lot of pregnant women in this group. And I think this image is so pertinent because if you've ever seen a mom with her newborn and just the love that emanates from her in most contexts. Grab onto that and put that on the chalkboard instead of all these pictures that we have of who God is that fit in this box that's just too small. In this text though, I don't think that this is just a box statement because the poet shifts the imagery in verse 22. He goes beyond God as mother to God as sovereign king. Just reading a couple of verses, it says, See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Israel, again, is waiting to be taken from the land and go back home. They've been oppressed. They've been subjugated. The, the land is, ab- is above them. Babylon is ruling over them. And they're waiting for Yahweh to go head on home, kids. We shift from that image of the nursing mother to the sovereign king that snaps a finger and things happen. God, as sovereign king, waves a hand and says, go on home. I understand that this text is about exile. I understand that this text is about something that happened a long time ago. But I also think there's something to that where a lot of us are waiting for God to wave his hand, to snap his fingers, to say, go on home, kids. I don't know what it is that we're going through. For some of it's at school, for some of it's routines, for some of it's it's maybe some of your students in the dorm are driving you up a wall. Maybe it's young life staff members and things happening there. Maybe it's health issues and finances. For some of us, as odd as it is, we need to hear this. God is is the mom that wants to hold you. For the men, we might not like that because we might not like to be held. But I think the image is so important. And then right next to that, it's God as sovereign king. They can take care of stuff. Whatever it is that's hurting you or weighing you down or in that thing that's just difficult, it's at least possible that he can take those enemies, metaphorical and real, and give you victory. There's a different image too because right now we've just been talking about God as mom and God as shield and God as shepherd and all these metaphors that make sense to us. But thankfully we go beyond that in the Bible where we meet a guy named Jesus who was the imprint of the father. 
Everything that there was to know about God was represented in this one man who lived a sinless life with struggles and difficulties, I'm sure of it, but took them all to the cross and paid for sins. Yours, mine, the world's. We have all these pictures of who God is and sometimes they fit in this little box and sometimes they don't and sometimes we forget the fact that Jesus is all of those. Jesus is mom. Jesus is brother. Jesus is shield, tower, shepherd. Jesus is gate. Jesus is judge. Jesus is good. Jesus is love. Our context doesn't always back that up. But I want to fight just for a moment tonight that in that different image of God, we've seen all these metaphors and we see how Jesus fulfills them. I want us to have a different response to it. For some of you in the room right now, Jesus is old news. It's what you do. It's your life. And I think even us talking about these images, they kind of just, they ring hollow because you already know the right answers. I hope that tonight we can begin to start having a different response where once again, the cross and the empty tomb creates passion in us. Not to hand out chick tracks, but passion in us to, to love people well, like Jesus did. For some of you in the room, you've never made that step because your context has been one of hurt and pain and brokenness. And I would hope that tonight, I hope that something would be happening with you. I hope that even in the midst of pain and stubbornness and callousness that something would begin chipping away saying maybe all of this stuff is different than what you once thought. Maybe Jesus isn't just the chick track. Maybe Jesus is life and love and hope and peace. So tonight I hold out to you from Isaiah this really strange text where God is presented in images that don't really get talked about too much because they're kind of strange. God is the one who feeds you like a little baby. But hold on to the goodness of that. Compassion, care, love, devotion, sacrifice. And then see the one that sit right next to it where God is that sovereign king that has you still emblazed on the palm of his hand and has your concerns in his heart. And he's actually powerful enough to do something about them. Tonight I know that there's people that need to once again begin to pray for that God to do something ridiculous. The sovereign king of the universe to wave his hand and say, kids, it's time to go home. And I hope that collectively as a group we have enough faith to allow that to take place.